you'll probably start seeing more ways that contrast speaks for you, whether through the implied energy, the way high contrast can bring emphasis to a particular section or set of elements, or even metaphorically. Hello, all my various and uniquely divergent creatives. Thank you for joining me on the Sage Arts Podcast. I'm still Sage, at least today, and I'm so happy that you're joining me. I'm starting something new with you today. Yeah, you'll find that I regularly change things up. I'm always trying to improve upon things and keep things fresh and interesting. So what I wanted to start doing was at the beginning of each month, I want to talk a little bit about design. I'm going to try to take it a different approach and not do some kind of like straight up like boring lessons, I promise. There'll be um, fun stories and all kinds of like metaphorical tidbits. And it's an auditory medium that you're getting this through. So I've worked really hard on trying to give you visuals as much as possible that, you know, at least that I can describe to you. And we'll see how that goes. And you can let me know what you think after you've listened to this. Now, I know, as I said, some of you are thinking, I don't want to know about design. I don't want to become overly aware of what I'm doing. I don't want to be questioning what I do. And that's okay. You don't have to, and you won't have to, even after listening to this. All you do is let the words wash over you. Some of it will lodge in your unconscious and some specific things will sit a bit more up front and pop up here and there as you work. The unconscious stuff may work its way to the surface over time or help you make a connection later on. It's all good regardless of how you take it in. The cool thing about having exposure or just being reminded of certain design concepts is that At the very least, you will have tools you know you can turn to when you're stumped or you want to get out of a rut or any kind of issue that you have with your work. You can come back to these podcasts. You can check on the posts on social media. I'm going to be putting up a lot more posts about the subject matter that I talk about since design is so visual. I want to be able to offer you some items on there as well. So you'll be able to come back to the podcast or to the social media sites when you want to access that information. But in the meantime, just take a passive listen or an active listen if you're hungry for this and you can take some notes or whatnot. I'll repost the elements and principles of design chart. I did that a couple of months ago um, after another podcast episode. I don't remember which one that was, but it'll list all of the principles and things that we could talk about and that do come into play in these discussions. So I'll put that on Instagram and Facebook, but those will just be the images you can refer to. If you sign up for the newsletter at thesagearts.com on the homepage, you'll get a little news and notices button. And I send out a little, just a short little email on Sunday mornings to remind you of the newest episodes. And that's where I'll be able to put in links to give you access to extra free material when available for the information that I put out on the podcast. So as you can tell by the title, we're going to have a little chat about contrast. This is a design principle that becomes relevant for pretty much every design choice you make. And that's what I'll be explaining today with some examples of how it works and how you can expand it beyond your own creation, kind of into day-to-day life, because art is life, right? Before we do that, you know what we need to do first. I need to do a shout out and drop a few seconds of info. I wanted to shout out to Barbara Barrett today. She kindly pointed out that finding a place to just comment was a little tricky. So I've included links to each episode's official page. And that's where you can put comments specific to the episodes, as well as doing that on the posts on Instagram and Facebook, of course. And you can find those under the Sage Arts podcast on those platforms. So thank you, Barbara, for helping me improve what I do, even in little ways. And of course, for your encouragement and your support. 
If you want to support what we have going on here, there are a few ways that you can do that. One is just hit that follow button on your podcast player. That, first of all, notifies you on the player when new episodes are available, and it helps me in the ranking on searches. Same goes for reviews. Go to the main page for the podcast in your podcast player, and then it's usually just a scroll down to the review section. You can give me an honest star rating, and if you have a few words of recommendation, encouragement, or even criticism, I do want to hear it all. Reviews also help put this in the search list so we can get more artists to join us here. If you want to give back in a monetary way, just head over to the sagearts.com website homepage, go about halfway down, or in the show notes, you can do this too, wherever you're playing this from, and you'll find links to the Buy Me a Coffee and PayPal pages where you can donate just once, or if you want to do it ongoing, there's a monthly option under the PayPal link. I thank you all so much for your generosity and desire to help keep this growing. Okay, let's get back to this fun and friendly design stuff. How often do you think about contrast in your creations? What is your definition of it? I know it seems like contrast refers particularly to a show of differences, giving the work some kind of yin and yang and some drama and all that. And that's partly true, but that's kind of a narrow and I think confusing explanation for it in terms of how you use it. I'm here to clear that up and refine it a bit for you. So let's kind of start at the top. Although all the principles of design appear to some degree in all work, contrast is an integral aspect of every design decision because every combination of like elements is, in essence, a choice about the contrast between them. We're talking about contrast between the types of marks you make, the lines, the colors, the shapes, forms, textures that you use. And these may seem fairly obvious, so you probably have a little bit of that down already, right? But consider that it also affects design principles like rhythm, balance, proportion, movement, hierarchy. Well, let's back up first of all. I've mentioned design elements and design principles. They sound kind of the same, but they're two different things. The elements are your building blocks, the same way your material is what you use to create your art. Principles are the way you arrange those elements, those building blocks. In other words, how you manipulate them. So elements are what you design with and principles define the ways you work with those elements. Does that make sense? They'll become more important later, but you'll be hearing me talk about them today. So I just wanted you to have a clarification on that. So back to the contrast stuff. Just how is contrast so pervasive as to affect every design choice you make? Well, since contrast is the level of difference between things, Anytime you have more than one of any element in your design, be it visual objects or just groups of particular elements, you create a certain level of contrast. You don't even have to try to create contrast because it just exists, at least on a spectrum. However, you want to choose the level of contrast where you need it to be on that spectrum from low to high contrast to fulfill your intention, whatever that is for your specific piece. So every time you have more than one line, more than one color, texture, shape, etc., you have the opportunity to choose the degree to which each iteration of that item, of that element, will be different from the others. And that choice can say so much about your work, since contrast contributes to visual interest and to mood and to the energy of a piece, as well as being employed for emphasis and other compositional considerations, which I'll get to in just a bit. Again, notice that I don't say that contrast is showing the difference between like elements because I don't think it's quite that. 
contrast can be low, having elements appear more alike than different. And that's why I say levels of difference. That way you won't think that having low contrast is bad because it's not. These things are only bad or somewhat wrong if it doesn't help you fulfill your intention for the piece. And that's the big takeaway there. If you are confused by this reference to intention, by the way, go back to episode one because absolutely everything in making art, in your creative life even, in your creative business even, if you have one, is rooted in your intentions for each of these areas. So that's a super, super important lesson for all of us as artists is to pay attention to our intention. I do need to make note that some noticeable contrast is likely to be an important part of your work, but it doesn't have to be something super obvious like colors or values like the lights and darks, right? But differences are what we as viewers are looking for. It helps inform us as to what's important and allows you to manipulate how something is seen. And don't worry, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense right now, but I'll have lots of examples here in a minute to kind of explain that. But yes, you can have a little contrast or no contrast, and it's still a contrast choice. Huge differences between elements like black and white, for instance, of course, big and small, rough and smooth, busy and simple. These can be high contrast, but you don't need high contrast to have a successful piece. Yes, a lot of contrast can add drama and interest, but if you don't want drama and you want the interest to, you know, like whisper and not shout, then low contrast is probably the language that you'll want to primarily use. Now, noticeable contrast is usually desired, but it can be with one of the more subtle elements. Let me give you a non-art example of why all this contrast stuff is important before we go on. And it kind of gives you a little visualization on what it is, right? So I like the example of roller coasters. Now, speed and being way up there on a roller coaster is a big part of the fun, but the real thrill is about the ups and downs, the dips and the turns, the flipping upside down or whatever it is, right? Because just going fast and up high on a rail isn't that much different than like being on a raised freeway in a car or on a bridge in a, on a bike or something. You probably feel less exposed in a car and you're more in control of things when you're on your own bike. But nonetheless, it can be cool and fun on those high places, but it's not as super thrilling as the roller coaster because of the constant changes. There is this scene in the film Parenthood. And when I brought roller coasters, I bet some of you thought of this. It's a movie from 1989 where the grandmother of the main character, who's played by Steve Martin, tries to impart some really brilliant wisdom through a roller coaster metaphor. She basically tells him that she likes roller coasters because they're scary and stomach-turning and exciting and thrilling all at the same time. Because you go up and down and up and down, things aren't steady, like it would be if you were on a merry-go-round. It's just a lot more thrilling to have the contrast in the ride. That's what makes contrast so useful. It gives us differences to discover and highlights the kinds of ups and downs of the visual characteristics of the work and makes it more exciting. Another thing contrast does is it allows us to manipulate how things are seen. Whether you realize it or not, we judge pretty much everything on its relation to something else. For instance, you could have a really good burger at a fast food place, but that same burger would probably be considered awful in a high-end $50 a plate restaurant, right? That's because the fast food burger is compared to other fast food burgers when you're choosing like a drive through option. But compared to other things on a high-end menu, it's just not up to par. I think kind of the same way about vacations. 
I hear people say they wish they could stay at their vacation spot forever or they look forward to retirement because they think it's going to be one long, relaxing vacation. But here's the thing. Vacations are only as amazing as they are to us because we compare them to our everyday lives. If you lived on a beach, say, you might appreciate it a lot and you may really value being there, but it's not going to feel like a vacation after a while. We need the less exciting day-to-day stuff to show us how amazing these really fun times are. So it's all relative. And design elements do the same thing when contrasted. Let's just say, for instance, you have a nice, bright turquoise. It's going to look rather light in value when in the company of a deep purple. And so there's going to be contrast there, right? But put that turquoise next to a light peach color. And it's not going to seem light at all. It's actually going to seem pretty deep. So that's comparing like elements, the color, but judging their difference in relation to each other. And that becomes important when you're developing contrast because you can't always say that turquoise is light because in some situations it's going to be light and some situations it's not. The elements you have in your work change as you introduce new elements or remove elements. They all have an effect on each other. Now, high contrast, what people feel they need to be after in the work often and you, and you don't. But when the difference is big and obvious, it can make work feel quite dramatic. And not just for the piece, but because of this relativeness, it can do that for individual elements. In other words, the differences can exaggerate characteristics. So bright colors look brighter when paired with neutrals and wavy lines will usually feel more energetic when paired with straight, especially horizontal lines, because horizontal lines give a sense of calm. It's like when you have a very lively friend, for instance, and you take them to visit, say, a group of Buddhist monks. (laughs) Your friend's lively banter may now seem loud and obnoxious in the quiet meditative gardens with those Buddhist monks, but it may seem rather meek if you took that same person to a punk rock concert that night. Yeah, I know. Who's going to visit monks one day and go to a punk rock concert the next? Well, I would. So <laughs> color me odd. <laughs> but in any case, just visually, you can, you can see what I mean by relativity and how a certain characteristic can seem exaggerated if heavily contrasted. Now you've been well-warned and prepared for the role of relativity in contrast. So let's get down to brass tacks and talk about the ways contrast affects pieces. First of all, contrast helps determine the energy of the piece. Usually higher contrast is more energy, lower contrast is calmer or quieter, like the difference between the merry-go-rounds and the roller coasters, like I mentioned. But that does depend on the energy of other elements. Like you can use complementary hues, such as blue and orange, so they're high contrast in hue. And when they're fully saturated, that can be quite energetic. But if you use pastel versions of them, now working with the chroma, the intensity of the color, and the value, like how light or dark it is, the energy in pastel may not be very high because the value starts to become more like, and the chroma is similarly diminished. Now, if you took orange and blue and you did dark versions of them, like adding a lot of black to them, the pieces could feel heavy, which also can bring down the energy because, again, the values are starting to become closer. So yeah, you can fine-tune a lot of the contrast by tweaking various characteristics of your elements to collectively create the energy you want. But yes, contrast greatly manipulates the energy in your work. It can also create tension, very closely related to the energy, especially when a lot of your elements and principles are high contrast. And I'll give you an example in just a moment, but let's get through a few more of these points. 
Contrast is also super important when playing with the principles of rhythm and movement. Because remember, relativity plays a role so much in these things that if you have something like solid and still, like a rock, and it looks big and heavy, and it's outlined with a steady, definitive line, and then next to that, you have a ton of tiny shapes or wavy erratic lines like an ocean or like waves, the movement of those busier elements are going to be emphasized. And the order in which those lines appear, if the waves are like small, large, small, large, or straight, wavy, straight, that creates a rhythm among the lines. And that kind of rhythm is only possible if there are differences in the line, if there is some contrast. So you develop a rhythm based on the amount of contrast that you put in there or the lack of it. And that's true even of uh, super low contrast, which comes across like a regular beat, right? Like the bars of a cage or petals on a flower. There's little or no difference in the repeated shapes. Put some contrast into the rhythm and you have more energy and movement. So it actually feeds back to the show of energy, right? Contrast can also help develop a hierarchy. It can show what's most important to least important in the work, which will help you lead the viewer's eye around because we as viewers look for direction. You know, we think, what is this about? Where's the focus? And then we check out everything else based on what we see as the focus, at least commonly. And the contrast can help by emphasizing elements through comparisons, like the things that are bigger, that are brighter, that are more fluid, that are more energetic, etc., will stand out. So if you have a bike in a park surrounded by trees and bushes and mostly organic things, that bike is going to stand out because it's man-made symmetry with geometric shapes and mostly straight lines. The path it's on, it might be a winding gravel path. It will feel like the next most important thing because it's more like the bike in that it's man-made, even though it's not straight lines, but it's not like a busy organic element and it's singular, probably the only path that we're seeing in that picture. So the eye will probably go to the bike and then to the path and then to the trees. And that's the kind of direction that the eye will flow through the piece, that kind of thing, right? Now, take that same bike, put it in a downtown city street, and you may not see it at all because everything else there is geometric and straight lines, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe there's a single tree in that downtown area and that tree may end up standing out or a person we we look for people immediately. That's the first thing that we get drawn to. That's a whole nother subject though. But yes, contrast between things can develop a hierarchy. So in in this case, the bike and the park was the contrast between geometric shapes and organic shapes. That was the primary contrast difference. Now, contrast can also create relationships. This is one of the things that I love best about contrast. The thing is, there's a story in most all of our art, even if it's relatively subtle or hard to verbalize, because we as humans ultimately try to determine the relationship between parts that we see in a work. And that is the basis for whatever bit of story our brains come up with, whether it's conscious or unconscious. Contrast tells us about those relationships. We ask things like, are the same types of elements alike or unlike? Do they get along? Do they clash? Do they seem unaware of each other? Do they depend on each other? Every part of your work has numerous characteristics. And the more characteristics that are produced in high contrast, the more unlike the related parts seem. And then we start to pair them or compare them. So let's say you have two trees in an image. 
And let's say they're exactly the same in every way. You'd think that they were related if they were the same in every way. Like they were twins and they were born together and they're going through life together. But if one was short and stunted and basically a skeleton of a tree and the other was full and tall and lush, you think of them as strangers or maybe adversaries. And the big one kind of won out by grabbing all the sunshine. But if they're just as tall and just as lush and everything else is the same except for, say, the color of the leaves, we start to ask why. Why is this one green and the other one is, say, yellow? Is the tree with the yellow leaves just anxious to get a jump in on fall weather or is it trying to be unique and stand out? Is it sick? Did the other tree cause its sickness? Does the other one care? Yeah, maybe my brain goes there and yours doesn't, but that's basically what we're doing. And sometimes it's very unconscious. So you see how contrast creates possible scenarios in the viewer's mind, even if we're not fully aware of it, but it does affect the viewer and the impact of the story of your piece. Those are kind of the big things on how contrast can help you manipulate what people are seeing in your work. But how do you bring all that together? There's so much stuff and they all depend on each other and they're all relative to each other. Well, let's do a quick design. Let's take a piece and let's just use circles and squares and let's just use black and white. So this could be a painting, it could be art jewelry, it could be a photograph, mosaics, even ceramics, whatever. Just put this in context of your own medium. So visualize squares and circles and black and white. And let's say they're all the same texture. They're all flat matte. You have high contrast in shape and you have high contrast in value, right? Circles and squares, obviously, and black and white, obviously. It's rather high energy, right? Because there's lots of contrast. Well, then you have to question, does the fact that the texture is all the same with no contrast, does that diminish the energy? And you can say, yeah, you could increase the energy by having a bunch of different texture. But because texture kind of recedes to the point of not being noticed sometimes because it's kind of like a background in many ways, the texture doesn't diminish the energy all that much. Now, if all the shapes are the same size and size is a principle of how the element is being used, what size you choose for it, it ends up feeling like a pattern and not a composition not a picture with something to say or something to be discovered because there is not enough contrast to create principles like rhythm or any type of identifiable composition. And that means there's no interesting relationships. Now, go and vary the size of those circles and squares. Then all the other principles can really come into play now that there is some contrast for the principles to work with. How much you contrast their size along with how you arrange them, whether they're orderly or random or somewhere in between, maybe some are orderly and some are random to increase contrast in your patterning and rhythm. With that, you can create noticeable rhythms that then increase the contrast within it. (laughs) I know it's a lot, right? It's kind of crazy. All of these choices, though, will help you create the story and relationships the viewers inherently look for. So now we have this black and white graphic thing with energy and rhythm, potential relationships because we've changed the size of the circles and the squares, but we don't have a focus. So let's push one element. Let's say you decide it's one of the squares. You have to do something to tell us that it's important. So you can make it say solid black and all the other shapes are white with black outlines. So there's our black and white, right? Then that one black one will become the focal point because it's different and because it's contrasting the rest in its choice of being a solid black. And even if it's small, because it contrasts in value and color, and in line, actually, because it doesn't have a border like the rest of them, it actually has no line. So that's a contrast to the outlines. It becomes noticeably important to us. It becomes the focal point. Now, it helps that it would be on top of the shapes because of the principles of hierarchy. 
And that would help cement that for us. Because usually important things aren't buried behind other things, although you could have it peeking out from behind some of the other shapes. It would just need something else, some more contrast in one of the other principles or elements to make it stand out. Like it could be red and only part of it's peeking out. And that's going to help convince us that this is an important piece and it's going to be the focal point. So just something contrasting the rest to show it's the focal point and where your eye needs to go to likely start its journey around your piece is what you apply to create that focus. Now, I know this is hard being all auditory, but hopefully you can see hints of what I'm referring to in terms of the many ways that contrast affects your design. Now, does it make you super curious to go run over to your studio table or go look through your past work or your work that's in progress and see what contrast is doing for you there? If so, that is a great thing to do, and I very much encourage you to go take a look at your work and see how you've been using contrast. Now, when trying to determine the role of contrast in any one piece, consider how much energy, how much tension and drama your intention needs in that piece, what it is you're trying to do, and how much it's going to need of those things that contrast can give you. Then look at your elements of design for options to increase or decrease contrast as needed if you don't think your intention was met. So you go in and you can adjust the characteristics of your different marks, your lines, your shapes, your forms, shapes or 2D forms or 3D colors, textures, and then check as you make adjustments to see if the relativity of all those elements has snuck in and kind of pushed things a little too far. So I bet you're seeing that contrast, like everything else, is part of a mix of decisions that all have to play well together. I do find contrast a great place to start, though, since it can help you make decisions in so many other areas. Once you work with contrast as a guiding decision for other choices, you'll probably start seeing more ways that contrast speaks for you, whether through the implied energy, the way high contrast can bring emphasis to a particular section or set of elements, or even metaphorically. So, whew, it's kind of a lot, isn't it? (laughs) And I did promise I'd try to keep this as simple as possible, but it does make it a little complicated having to do this auditorially. So like I said, I will post things on um, the social media sites and in the newsletters to help you out with that. And you can do your own research as well. My main hope is that you become more aware of contrast and that you know you have control over it. Of course, some of your choices for contrast will be made automatically if you've been making other characteristic choices or other element choices, specifically not thinking about contrast, but you have like thematically, you want daisies as a focal point for your piece, or you're choosing green and red because your color palette is for Christmas. If you do something with repeated daisies, for instance, it'll dictate a rather low level of variation because of the sameness of the primary motif that you're working with. So you would work on contrast if you want to increase the energy and things like value between the background and the flowers or the size or the textures or the marks that you're making. So you can increase contrast there. You can take it up a notch. And Christmas colors, they're already high contrast because red and greens are opposite. So if you wanted it to be a kind of calm piece, it might be a little difficult to make it serene starting from that color palette. So consider how much you use. Quantity is one of those principles that can also affect it. So you can just do like, say, a lot of white, especially if you want to do like a lot of snow in it. And then you use those main colors, red and green, as more of accents, and that'll take down the energy a notch. So you have all those other elements to work with to increase, decrease energy, bring emphasis, all those kinds of things. 
There's one more thing I want to point out about contrast, and maybe this seems a little silly, but I think it's important to think of contrast in terms of not just your creative pieces, but in the way you live your life. You should contrast your studio time with time outdoors or traveling or hanging out with friends. I know when I was a working artist, it was pretty much every waking hour, but you're not going to get as innovative if you aren't out there getting in new information. So contrast your days, contrast what you're seeing, contrast your experiences. And you can even do things like trying different mediums, just little forays into other mediums to shake up your creative thinking and keep you excited with new things. And every once in a while, try doing something wholly unlike your usual work. Like if you work small, try big. If you tend to do bright colors, try neutrals or dark colors and that kind of thing. So I think contrast is super important. Remember the roller coaster. (laughs) I think the ups and downs are much more interesting, much more thrilling, and you get a lot more out of them. In any case, I hope you enjoyed this little design lesson. This is one that's a bit more conceptual than the ones we'll be going forward because it covers so many things. But other things like color and line and and shape and things like that, those would be a bit more concrete. But if you wouldn't mind letting me know what you think about this, and if you're looking forward to this being a regular thing, and whether my explanations without visuals, you know, being auditory, actually works for you. And you can write me on the contact page at thesagearts.com. You can leave me comments on the episode page that I'm going to have the link for in the show notes. And I do suggest checking in on the Sage Arts podcast social media pages if you're going to be following these design lessons, because I'm going to create posts to support these lessons. So you can take it in, let it sink into your subconsciousness, let it become automatic, and you might see improvements without even trying. It really does work that way. It's why they say you should see lots of art if you're an artist. You should read lots of books if you're a writer, because just exposure will teach a lot of what you need to know. I know I may have overwhelmed you, so I'm not going to drag this on any longer. Just until next time, go ahead and try building contrast into your life as well as your work. Feed that muse, stay true to your version of weirdness, and I'll chat with you next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.